sitting here, you may be thinking, well, that was a really random place to read, huh? Um, God just got harsh with those people. Um, so, so if you are new here and you don't know what that was, why we are reading from Jeremiah 2, uh, here at Grace Bible Church, we have what we call the Abide Reading Plan, where we read through the scriptures together in a year's time. And um, in the second half of the year, we go through an overview of the Old Testament. First half of the year, we do a chapter-by-chapter reading in the New um, latter half of the year, we kind of overview the Old Testament with some specific chapters that we read together. And each Sunday, we read the Abide reading for that day together. And so if you're new and you're wondering, well, that was weird that we landed in a Jeremiah 2 um, with God calling people names and um, uh, pronouncing judgment upon them, that, that is the reason. And we would invite you to join us on that reading plan. You can jump in at any point. Um, abide.gpctx.org um, is a website devoted just to that reading plan. Um, you'll find some devotionals there, the reading plan itself, and some other tools to help you um, as, as you study God's word and, and read through it. Um, as I mentioned earlier, if you are here, uh, my name is Jared Manning, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Grace Bible Church. Um, during this season, I am the only staff pastor, um, and, uh, and so we are looking for a, a new teaching pastor, um, and uh, just to kind of give you an idea of where we are, and it, it kind of will have to do with how I teach this morning and what I teach this morning. Um, this is the first time I've gotten to preach in a couple of months. Um, Thankfully, we are blessed with a lot of men in our body and on our elder board that can teach the word faithfully. And so um, I asked them during this time, I was like, if other guys can handle it, I know normally I'm on a once a month rotation to preach. I was like, I will gladly give that up uh, for a while and, uh, and step back from that role um, in that I have so many other things going on um, right now. And so that's been great. And I'm excited to open the word of God with you this morning um, and, and get to dive in to uh, the scriptures together. But first, I want to pray for us, pray for our um, time in the word, uh, pray for you um, specifically, and pray for me um, that God would, would speak to us in a powerful way through his word this morning. So let's, let's go to him in prayer. Father, we um, are humbled by who you are. God, we come here knowing that we are finite, sinful um, people. Father, we've been reminded this week um, that we are not in control, that you are in control. We've, we've been reminded even maybe this morning of our own sinfulness as we um, got up to get ready uh, to come to this place. We have had arguments with our spouse. We have had to wrestle with kids to get them ready. And, and God, I pray that now as we enter this time in your word, you would speak to our desperate need of a savior. That we would recognize that we're all a mess. And that's why Jesus had to die. And God, I pray that we could just, just sit in that this morning. That we can be grateful. That we have a God who sits in the heavens, who does whatever he pleases, and it pleased him to crush his only son, to clean up our mess. And Father, in Jesus, we stand acceptable in your sight. So humble us this morning as we approach your word. Teach us by your spirit. Change us. As we leave this place this morning, that we would be a people called out and that we would be a people sent out by the gospel to a bunch of messy people. That we would show them the hope of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, uh, this year has been an interesting year for Grace Bible Church. If you've been around 
for a while. It started with a really high high. Um, in January, we began a campaign to um, raise money to move into this facility. Um, and it looked like around February, um, March, that it may not happen. There were a lot of roadblocks that were thrown up in our way. And it just looked like maybe this is not what God has for us. And then one by one, in a matter of like a week, God knocked down a ton of, of roadblocks um, and made a way for us to, to be in this facility. And so we were all excited. We experienced a lot of energy and excitement as we prepared this space to move in here to worship in this space. And then um, just a couple of months after moving into this building, um, then uh, Brian McKenzie, who was serving as our teaching pastor uh, at the time announced to the church that he and his family have been called to a new ministry and a new mission field in the Midwest, the United States. And so he stepped down and in June they left us. Um, and uh, so we, we rejoiced with them and, and mourned at the same time for us that we were losing their family. Um, we've walked with our church family through um, really high highs and some really low lows as we've searched for a new teaching pastor. Many of you know we started the process even back in May, early May, um, while Brian was still here. He got to be on that team and started the process, got all the way to the end of it. And then the guy that we chose, um, it fell through and um, we had to start that process over again. And uh, we'll, um, we'll actually be updating you hopefully really soon. We're down to two candidates right now. Um, and so uh, we're, we're excited about that. We've, we've walked with our church family through death this year of a husband and father. We've appointed new elders and deacons in this time. Um, and we've had the privilege of sitting under teaching from all of our elders and one of our founding elders here at Grace Bible Church, David Dupree, was with us for a few months. That was wonderful. And just a couple of weeks ago, we hosted our first ever Family Harvest Fest here at the church facility out in the parking lot. And it was a great time um, with people from our community coming in and getting to meet them. Um, and most of all, maybe the highest of highs, we finished the book of Acts. Um, after over a year and a half in, in the book of Acts, we finished the book of Acts. And then, uh, you know, 2016 has not only been a crazy year in the life of our church. <laughs> Many of you know it's been a crazy year in the world and in America. Um, the Cubs, the Chicago Cubs, won the World Series. Um, and uh, Back to the Future only had it wrong by a year. Um, and uh, so they won the World Series. And then this week, Donald Trump, of all people, was elected as the President of the United States. Um, and, uh, and so it has been a crazy, crazy year. And as many of you know, with this transition time for us as a church, in this interval period, um, it's, it's made for a crazy year in my life, in, in mine and Sarah's life. Um, Sarah and I are so thankful for all of you who have offered encouragement and prayers and, and cared about us and asked how we're doing. And, um, and, and, and so I, I just want to say thank you to, to you for that. Um, this year, though, with all of its excitement, sadness, stress, frustration, it's been a wonderful season of growth. Um, for me as a husband and a friend and a follower of Jesus and as a shepherd here at Grace Bible Church. And so it's been, it's been hard and it's also been exciting. So through, throughout this year and all that we've been through, I've been constantly going and asking the Lord, show me what it is you're trying to teach me. Show me what it is you're trying to teach our church family through all of this. It is not um, often that you hear of a church moving into a new facility, bigger, expanding ministry, um, and then the teaching pastor stepping down almost a month later, 
Um, and so what, what, what are you trying to teach us? And it was a good situation. If you're new here, understand we love our teaching pastor. We love Brian and we're actually supporting his family. We sent them out from here. And so it was a good transition for them. It was the right transition for them. Um, but Lord, what are you trying to teach us? So as I've reflected on this, prayed over this, I want to share some of the things that I've been learning and, and what I think we can learn together as a body this morning as we've gone through this transition. Um, so, so one of the things that God has shown me in bright neon lights is that um, I am not called to do the ministry of the church. It's not my calling. My calling is not to do ministry for you. Um, I'm not hired on staff here. Brian was not hired on staff here. Whoever we call as the next teaching pastor will not be hired to make disciples for Grace Bible Church. Um, we are called to make disciples of Jesus in our lives, to do ministry in our own lives, but you don't pay us to do ministry for you. Ephesians 4, 11 says that God has given the church teachers and apostles and prophets and evangelists um, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. My primary function here at Grace Bible Church is not to do ministry for you, but to help you and equip you and come alongside you as you do ministry um, for your neighbors, your friends, and your family. Secondly, I, I have learned, and, and maybe you're like, well, that's a silly thing to learn. You went to Bible college and seminary. You should have known this. Um, God teaches you different things at different times, and sometimes it sticks. <laughs> and, and so one of the things that I have learned is Sunday morning is not the ministry of Grace Bible Church. Sunday morning is not the ministry of any church. It is a supplement to the ministry. It is a time for us to equip. It is a time for us to come together as believers in Jesus, to worship our King, to encourage one another in song, to be encouraged by the Word, to be fed. But Sunday morning is not the ministry of the local church. Out there is the ministry. Here, equipping happens. Here, encouragement happens. Here, and fellowship may happen. But it's not the ministry. And if we spend all of our time and all of our energy focused on making Sunday morning some kind of experience that we expect people to come into these doors and be convinced that they need Jesus just by being here on a Sunday morning and we're never engaging them with the gospel on a personal level, then we've missed it. We've missed it, and I've missed it. And I confess to you that there have been times that I have talked about the Sunday morning experience in a certain way that probably has communicated that this is the ministry, and this is what we're here for, and this is the ultimate thing, or the most important thing is Sunday morning. And I'm here to say I was wrong if I ever came off that way. That is not what this is. Is not what this is. The ministry is for you to do. The call to make disciples is not accomplished by events. In other words, people don't come and become uh, mature followers of Jesus through a Sunday morning experience, through kids' programs, or through a weekly Bible study. It's not how people become mature followers of Jesus. We can't put events on a calendar and expect people to come to this event for two hours in a week or an hour, whatever it might be, and think that is going to grow them in the faith. It's a lie. The call of making disciples, the call of the mission of God is the call of the people of God to be engaged in ministry in every day and every area of their lives. It is the call for every single person who professes Jesus Christ as Lord. We are not called to be ministry consumers, but we are called to be ministry providers. We don't come sit in seats on Sunday morning and consume whatever the staff or the praise team or others have prepared for you to consume. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, are called and sent 
to do ministry as the people of God. We are ministry providers. Tim Keller summed it up well. He said, God doesn't call you in without sending you out. God doesn't call you in without sending you out. The people whom God calls to himself into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ are not just called to grow in their own maturity, in their own walk with Christ. They are sent out by God to make disciples of other people. And if we're not doing that, we've missed the call. So to show you what that looks like, to walk through that, you're like, when are we going to open the Bible and actually talk about what it says? Um, We're going to go to Exodus 3. So you can open your Bible this morning to Exodus 3. If you are um, new here, if you're a regular attender and you forgot your Bible, um, feel free uh, to grab one off of the shelves at the back of the room. Um, If you don't have a Bible at home, take that with you. Um, If you do have one, we'd ask that you put that back for someone else who might need it at a later time. Or many of you, I'm sure, have a device that has an app that you can open with a Bible on it um, and turn to Exodus 3. We're going to spend our time uh, this morning in Exodus 3 and 4 as we look at the life of Moses. Uh, Many of you may be thinking at this point, what in the world could Exodus 3 have to do with um, making disciples here in um, our culture, our context, and our church. But um, we, will, we will get to that. Um, on the Sundays that I lead worship and preach, I have wires all over me. So if I'm up here doing this, it's not because I have bugs or anything. Um, it's because wires are attacking me. Um, so we're going to be in Exodus 3. Exodus 3, jumping in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go. 
Gather the elders, elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you... And the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put on your hand, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even this, these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, with which you shall do the signs. So Moses went back to his father-in-law and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your face are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, had them ride on a donkey, and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. So that was a really long story. We're going to read through it four more times. I'm kidding. We're not, we're not going not gonna to do that. Um, that's the sermon this morning. Close and we'll be gone. Um, so this story of Moses is really interesting because um, Moses sounds a lot like us. Just to give you a little background uh, of where we're entering into this story, at the end of the book of Genesis, we have Joseph, who had been sold into slavery by his brothers, um, is taken to Egypt. He, through a series of unfortunate events, um, ends up in uh, in a high place within Egypt, um, within the government. Uh, he is put over um, the storage of, of grain and food because he um, helped interpret a dream that foresaw famine coming to the land. And so um, Pharaoh placed him in this high position. His family later came to Egypt during the famine. Um, 
to seek food and shelter and Joseph, God having sovereignly placed Joseph in this position, allowed him to minister to his family, to feed his family, to provide for them. And they came into and lived in Egypt. Joseph dies at the end of the book of Genesis. And it says that his family continued to live in Egypt and multiplied and grew. And we enter the book of Exodus and the nation of Israel has become quite large. And a new Pharaoh has risen to power. And the scriptures say this king did not know Joseph, which is a big deal. Didn't know who Joseph was. Didn't know what Joseph had done for the nation of Egypt. And so this king looks around and sees all these Israelites and he begins to feel threatened. These people are multiplying quickly. They're growing. Eventually, they're going to notice that there are more of them than there are of us. And they're going to overthrow us. They're going to be in power, and I'm not. And so he charges um, his people within the military to become um, slave or taskmasters over um, these, these people, the Israelites. And so we, we see this happen they're enslaved. He also orders them uh, to kill any more babies that are being born. He tells the midwives, as these Israelite women have babies, have them killed. We don't need any more of them around here. Praise God, the midwives disobey and make up excuses as to why they couldn't um, kill these children. So Moses ends up escaping. His mom puts him in a basket. Many of you probably heard that story as a kid. Moses' mother puts him in a basket and pushes him out down the river, praying that someone will find him and take care of him, that he would not be killed by the king. He grows up um, there in Egypt. He ends up getting into a confrontation, kills an Egyptian taskmaster, and it says he hit him. Um, we don't know really what he did with him, um, but he hid the body. Uh, I'm sure it was like, you know, today, rolled him in a rug, threw him in the river or something. Um, he hides him. And then somebody makes a comment about, are you going to kill me like you did that other Egyptian? And uh, Moses becomes frightful um, that they found out, that they know what he did. And in fact, the king did find out what he had done and was after him to have him killed. So Moses flees Egypt goes out into the desert um, through another series of events, comes across these young ladies. Their father um, is a priest in Midian, takes him in, gives him his daughter Zipporah as a wife, and Moses has a pretty good life. Um, he has a son, and then God hears the cry of Israel. At the end of chapter 2 um, of Exodus, it says, God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant that he had made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God knew. It's an interesting, interesting phrase there at the end of chapter 2. God knew their suffering. He knew them intimately. He has a relationship with Israel and so he wants to send a servant back to free his people as he remembers his covenant with them. And so that's where we enter here with Moses. And God shows up in this burning bush um, scenario. So Moses is out taking care of his flock. Um, he's kind of living the Midian dream, if you will. Um, and uh, he's got his wife, his two and a half kids, and his flock of sheep, right? And he's doing pretty well for himself. He's out tending the flock. Um, and this bush lights on fire and starts talking. Um, you know, not an everyday occurrence. <laughs> um, this bush catches on fire. And what's interesting, it's not just catching on fire and burning. It's just on fire, but still all intact. Um, it's not actually being consumed by the fire. It's just got fire on it. And so Moses looks over um, and the bush begins to speak to him. And the bush, um, what the fire actually says or who actually speaks is the Lord. Um, God starts to speak to Moses through this burning bush. He says, take off your shoes for where you're standing is holy ground. Take off your shoes where you're standing is holy ground. It's interesting that he says that because Moses is just like out in a field, like watching sheep. There's nothing holy about this place. 
um, except for the Lord just showed up and said it was holy. And so now it's holy. Um, and God tells him to take off his shoes and he obeys because when a burning bush talks to you, you obey. Um, and so he does it and he listens as the Lord speaks to him. The angel of the Lord appeared to him out of flame of fire. Moses turns to listen and the Lord talks. And he begins in uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Look with me there, if you will. And one of the first things God says to him, after telling him he's heard about Israel, he's heard their cry, he's going to save them. He says to Moses, verse 10, come, I will send you. Come, I will send you. God calls Moses and immediately announces that he's sending him out. God calls Moses and immediately says, now I'm sending you out. I don't call you just to come away with me in the wilderness and we're going to sing, I am a friend of God and have a good time and you're going to grow in maturity. No, he starts with, come, I've got a job for you. Come to me. I have somewhere I'm going to send you. I have a mission that needs to be completed. And God does the same with every person throughout Scripture and throughout history whom he calls to himself. He gives them a mission and sends them out. He calls us to send us. He called Moses to send him to a specific place. Place. He has given us a specific mission. We see that in Matthew 28, 19 in the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. He gives us a mission. That, that is our mission, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them, to teach them that they can obey the words of God. Just as he called Moses and immediately sends him out, he has called you and immediately sends you out. There does not need to be any prep time. The minute you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to make other followers of Jesus. And what's interesting is two verses later, he guarantees the result. Just in case there were any questions about whether this mission is going to be accomplished, he just goes ahead and tells Moses, oh yeah, and it's going to happen. Verse 12, look with me. Verse 12, he said, but I will be with you. I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I will be with you and this is going to be the sign. When you bring them out, you're going to worship on this mountain. He's guaranteeing the outcome. It's going to happen, Moses. Moses said, who am I that I should go back into Egypt and bring your people out of slavery? Who am I? And God answers him in a very different way. He doesn't even speak to who are you. He says, I'm going with you. I don't care who you are. I will be with you, and I'm guaranteeing the result. I've said it will happen. It will happen. So just be obedient, Moses. God will save those whom he has chosen. Turn with me to Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29. He will save I don't hear a lot of flipping, so I'm guessing there's a lot of scrolling um, going on. Romans 8, 29. If you're there, say, uh-huh. All right. Some of you had the search bar, just typed it in. Um, Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. All in the past tense. It's been done, right? So God guarantees the result as we go on mission for him, as we are sent out 
to make disciples of Jesus, God has guaranteed the result. He will do it. Those whom he has called, he has already justified, he's sanctifying, will completely and finally and fully glorify in the end, but positionally, they're glorified today. He will do it. He will complete the work. This guarantee drives Paul's mission in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy, he writes to Timothy and says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I am going through all of this so that God's elect will be saved. How will they hear without a preacher, he writes in Romans. Paul recognizes God has chosen some for salvation, but they can't be saved if they don't hear the gospel. So for the sake of the elect, because I know God will do it, I'm going to go, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be in chains, I'm going to be beaten, dragged out of the city, run back into the city, be beaten again, dragged back out of the city, run back into the city. Paul does this and it's crazy, um, right? But that is how convicted Paul is that God will accomplish his purposes. He will complete the mission. He is guaranteed the result. And so we, as followers of Jesus Christ, have nothing to fear in going out. We have nothing to fear in ministering to those around us. Who am I that you would send me? It's a great question. It's a humble question. Who am I that I would do anything for the Lord, that I could offer anything to you who have it all? It's a great question to ask. And God says, I'm with you. Who are you? I'm with you. And I've guaranteed the result. I've guaranteed the outcome. What amazing comfort that should bring to us as people of God, that he's already guaranteed the outcome. We don't have to worry about conjuring up the right words. We don't have to worry about sending somebody to like some second level of hell because we said something wrong at some point. We have God with us. He's guaranteed the results. And then, then God sends Moses with his name and with specific instructions. In chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. He says, so, so they ruthlessly made the people work as slaves. Oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong chapter. It would help if I looked at the right one. Um, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel, notice he starts with if. He's not being obedient yet. Um, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, "Say say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Jesus uses that same phrase when he comes in the gospels. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, I come to you in his name. He quotes this here. Uh, He's appeared to me saying, I've observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt and I promise that I will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt. Scroll down with me, verse 18, and they will listen to your voice. They will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now please let us go three days journey to worship. God. They will listen to you. He gives them very specific instructions. He has given us specific instructions. In Matthew chapter 8 or 28, verse 19. If you're into Bible drills, you can just keep flipping with me. If not, that's fine too. Um, Matthew 28, 
the last of that chapter. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus has given us specific instructions. We go in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. We baptize. We teach all the things that the Lord has commanded us. And some will listen. Those whom God has chosen will listen. They will hear us. God sends Moses in his name with specific instructions. He does the same with us. And then we have this fun thing where we all like to make fun of Moses for a little while. In chapter 4 of Exodus, he starts giving excuses one after the other. And we laugh and we talk about his excuses and how ridiculous they are because the Lord is with you, Moses. He just like lit a bush on fire, didn't burn it down to tell you what he was going to do with you. And you still don't believe him and you still want to be disobedient and you still want to make excuses. And we can't believe that he would do such a thing, yet we stand guilty of the very same things and the same Attitudes. We see here in Exodus 4, Moses gives this, this long laundry list of excuses why he can't do what God is asking him to do. He says, Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me. God had just said, they will listen to you. And he said, but, but they, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. So excuse number one, they're, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe me. Now, this seems ridiculous to us reading this story, knowing what happens later, later in Exodus. The plagues come. Eventually, God kills all the firstborn in Egypt. They believe, right? Israelites move out. God destroys the army. And we read this and go, Moses, come on, man. Like God's speaking to you. He's already guaranteed the result, told you they will listen, and you're still coming up with this excuse. They won't listen. Um, but how many of us use this same excuse every day? We're sitting next to a co worker, and we know they need the gospel. We know their hopeless situation. We know in our head they're headed to hell. That result is guaranteed without the interceding work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Without the hope of the gospel, they are on their way to an eternity in hell. And we sit and we think, okay, if I start with, do you know where you're going to go when you're going to die? No, 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 that one's not good. That one's not good. That was like so 1980s. Um, let's start with, um, do you believe in God? No, then if they get into an argument about evolution, I don't know enough. So let me start with, and we go through this argument in our mind. And even when we get the right words to say in our head, then we start the counter argument to what they're going to say to what we're going to say. And then at the end, we're like, yeah, they're not going to believe me. So I'm just not going to talk, right? We have this, we work out the whole scenario in our head before we ever open our mouth. And then we're like, they won't believe me. We say the exact same thing that Moses said. There's no way they're going to believe me. Moses is like, I'm going to go into Egypt and tell them I speak for God. Yep, me. I'm speaking for God. They're never going to believe that. And we use the same excuse. They're never going to believe that I'm speaking for God. When that's exactly what we're doing when we present a person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are speaking on God's behalf. We have our excuses. Then, then he goes on to his, his next one. I'm not gifted. In verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I don't know how long they've been speaking at this point. Um, but, but he's like, even since, you, even since you spoke to me, I haven't become eloquent in speech. The, then the Lord said to him, who has made your mouth, Moses? He's like, I'm not gifted enough to go talk to these people. They're never going to listen to me. I don't have the right words to say. And it sounds funny to us. 
because again, God's speaking to him right now. God's guaranteed the result. Moses, what are you doing? Why are you making all these excuses? You have God on your side. But yet we sit and we do this one all the time. I I don't know enough apologetics. I don't really know how to argue for the existence of God. And so if I get into that discussion, I'm going to look stupid. And then they're never going to believe. Like I'm going to be some kind of roadblock to their salvation because I didn't answer a question right. Um, First of all, that's arrogant to think that your speech has anything to do um, with the heart of a person. Um, Just because you have eloquent words doesn't mean they're going to get saved. Um, And even if you flub it up as you share, it will not hinder them from, from being saved. So, Um, We use this excuse a lot, but what's interesting, and we see this later as Moses continues to whine and complain and create um, more excuses, God, God doesn't eventually make him go alone. He says, okay, Moses, if you're really worried about this whole speech thing, then I'm gonna call Aaron out of Egypt. He's your brother. He's a priest. He, he speaks well. So I'm going to get Aaron to come out and greet you. He's going to be really happy to see you. And then you're going to go back in together. And Aaron can speak for you, but you are representing me. And so God, in the beginning, community of people in which discipleship is going to happen. Right? God doesn't send Moses alone. In the end, God says, okay, you're worried about a weakness you have. I recognize you have the weakness. So I'm going to bring Aaron alongside you to make up for your weakness. So church, this morning, I say to you, you have a bunch of brothers and sisters sitting in this room right here. Many of them have strengths where you are weak. So if your excuse today is, I don't know this well. My neighbor is struggling with X and I've never struggled with that. There's no way I can speak to that. There's probably a brother or sister in this room who has struggled with that. And I would urge you to find out who that is and to ask for their help because we're never meant to make disciples one-on-one. This is a Western invention. This one-on-one, let's meet for coffee for an hour a week and like we label that discipleship as if that is what the Christian life is. Jesus actually never did one-on-one discipleship. The smallest his group ever got was like one-on-three. And most of the time, it was 12. Discipleship was done in community, and this is why. Because we all have strengths and weaknesses. We're sinful people. We can't do it alone. We're never going to have all the answers. And so we have a community of people that will come around us and help us. So let's stop using that excuse. And then finally, in verse 13, Moses, as this kind of comes to a climax, all the excuse making, he says, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. That's what it comes down to, right? Okay, I'm out of excuses. I just don't want to. (laughs) Send somebody else. And we laugh, but at least Moses is honest. Right? In the end, Moses finally just says, okay, I I give in. Uncle, just just send somebody else. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then what is God's response? Verse 14, a response you never, ever want to know is directed at you. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. E, it's not a phrase you want to hear in reference to yourself. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Jared. No, no. But that didn't happen until Moses was just full on disobedient. As he's making excuses, the Lord is like, okay, I'm gonna counsel you here. I'm gonna help you understand. And then finally, when Moses is like, okay, I just don't wanna do it. Then God is like, okay, now I'm angry. I gave you a command and you will obey. You will obey. So this morning, 
If we're real honest with ourselves, we come up with all these excuses. God has broken down our excuses early on in Scripture as he's dealing with Moses. He's already dealt with all the excuses that we give. And when we get right down to it, the reason we don't make disciples, the reason we don't share the gospel with our neighbors, our family, our friends, our coworkers, is because in the end, we just don't want to. God, send somebody else. Like, don't we pay pastors for that? Don't we have plenty of people like in ministries around our community that are sharing the gospel? Like they can come to a church if they want to hear the gospel and hear it preached on a Sunday morning. I just don't want to do it. But here's the deal, friend. And here's, here's why God just continues to plow forward with Moses. Number one, he gave him a command. But number two is there is a work that only you can do, that God has that only you can do. Paul writes about this in Ephesians 2.10. For you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that were prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 9, Paul explains this beautiful transfer of, of life and death or death um, and our sin to a life in Christ. And And he ends this whole little paragraph of talking about what it means to be a saved person by saying, for you are his workmanship. The Greek word there is poema, the word for poem. You are his poem created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. Not not so that your neighbor would walk in them. Not so that your fellow church member would walk in them. He's created works that you should walk in. There is a person whose hand only you can hold through the struggle they're in. There's someone that is suffering somewhere that God has meant for you to minister to. There's nobody else that can minister to that person in the way that God intends for you to minister to that person. And when the Holy Spirit prompts us to speak and we stay silent, we're disobeying and we're not walking in the works God has created for us. There are plenty of other excuses we can give. The list goes on and on. I don't have time. My job security, if I start talking about these things. But the question ultimately is, are we going to be obedient? And we see in chapter 4, verse 18, Moses, in the end, is obedient. So Moses went back to Jethro, Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Now what does that reveal about Moses? Let me go back to Egypt to see if they're even still alive. Moses has been kind of living it up with the Midian dream, right? And knows that his brothers... And Egypt may be dead at this point. The Egyptians may have just killed them all at this point. There were people in suffering in Egypt and Moses is arguing with God about whether he should go back and save them. God's like, Moses, I have a mission for you. You're going to go in and you're going to lead all of your people, my people, out of slavery. And Moses is like, eh. No, send somebody else. Right? They're suffering. Moses knows that they're suffering. They may even be dead. And Moses is arguing with God about whether he's adequate to go do this work. Friends, your neighbors are suffering. They're suffering in the consequences of their sin. They're suffering because of the sins that we've all committed. And this world has been cursed And even if their life looks nice and pretty and plastic on the outside, they are dead inside. And they are on their way to an eternity in hell. 
and you have the message that could completely change their life here and their life eternally, and you are saying, ah, send somebody else. I know they're suffering, but it's really hard to speak. But Moses obeys. Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses, in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. Taking care of that part. The men who are going to kill you, they're dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, had them ride on a donkey, and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Moses is finally obedient to the Lord. The question this morning is, will you be? Will you be obedient to the Lord? God God had called him back to a place where he may be killed. There's going to be great suffering. Moses didn't really know exactly what was on the other end of this thing, but he obeyed. Will you? I'm asking you this morning that while there are a lot of exciting things that may be going on in the life of our church, please, please don't rely on this building. Don't rely on our programs. Don't rely on our events. And don't rely on our staff to do the ministry that God has called you to do. Don't rely on on programs and events and other people to do the ministry that God has called you to. He's created you and he's created a work for you to do that only you can do. And maybe you're sitting there and you're feeling the inadequacies. And just like Moses, you're saying, but I'm not eloquent in speech. I, I don't talk well. I don't have all the right arguments. I don't know enough. Friends, all you need is the gospel of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel is the power of God and to salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's what accomplishes it. Not your good argument. Not your ability to defend the existence of God, but the gospel alone has the power to save. You have that gospel. So ask yourself this morning, who is the neighbor that I have not met that I need to meet? Which house on my street have I been avoiding? And I need to knock on their door. I need to meet them, talk to them, get to know their family. Who is the coworker that I need to schedule a lunch with this week? Lunch, coffee, breakfast. Who is that person that you felt like God has been wanting me to say something to this person for years? And every day I go in and I sit next to them in an office or in a cubicle and I haven't opened my mouth Maybe I just need to sit down and get a lunch with them and talk. Who is the family member that I need to be intentional with? Listen, all of us have family members who have not trusted Christ. Who is that person that you need to be intentional with? I'm gonna intentionally spend time with them. I wanna get to know their heart. I wanna know what they're struggling with. I wanna know how I can help them. But most of all, I wanna know Have they trusted Christ? Where are they going to spend eternity? What are they looking for for satisfaction? How am I actively discipling my children? How am I actively discipling my children? Listen, discipleship doesn't happen in a vacuum. It it doesn't happen accidentally. There has to be intentionality. There has to be thought given to discipleship. You have to know how to speak to your children in a way that points them to Jesus. 
through that door right there, we have a bunch of little kids over on the other side of this building. And I dare say that on that side of that door is the largest group of lost people in our church. That's where the most lost people are that are here on a Sunday morning. That's our mission on Sunday morning. That is our mission field on Sunday morning. We've got kids in there who don't know Jesus. And we want to give them the gospel. And parents in this room, whose kids are over on the other side of that door, we can't disciple them on Sunday morning. We can't disciple them in an hour and a half a week. The world gets them hours upon hours all week. You know who gets to spend every day with them? You. You know who gets to remind them of the gospel? Every day, you. So you cannot bring your kids here on a weekly basis or bi-weekly or once a month or whatever it might be and expect them to grow up to love Jesus. We have a lot of people in our society right now really shocked that a bunch of young people don't go to church. People that were raised in church, they go off to college and 80% of them do not end up back in church while in college. And people are like, oh my gosh, how does that happen? They grew up in a Christian home. They went to church every Sunday because Sunday morning is not enough to make a disciple. So parents, actively disciple your children and we are going to try our best to provide you with resources to help you do that. We want to be an encouragement to you. So over this next year, you're going to see some things change with the way we emphasize Children and our discipleship process for them. And we want to be an encouragement to you and we want to be a help to you. And so if you're struggling through the week, I don't know how to do this with my kids, please let somebody know. Let Daryl and Taylor know. Let myself know. Let Josh know. Let one of the elders know. Hey, I'm trying to do like some kind of family worship time. I don't even know where to begin with that. We have resources that we can help you. We can either hand you a book, we can talk with you, give you some ideas, but we want to equip you to disciple your children. And it's the same for all of these areas. If you have a struggle with a coworker, or a friend, or neighbor, whatever it is, ask the church. You don't need a program, you don't need an event, you don't have to do it alone, but you must do it. God doesn't call you in without sending you out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are on the throne, that you rule and that you reign, that you have been faithful and you have called us into a relationship with yourself, but you have also sent us out to the nations. God, I pray that we would be obedient to the call. Pray that the men and women in this room would be obedient to the call. That we would lean on one another as we multiply and make disciples for the name of Jesus. It's in his name.